Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark, and we're talking about Brave Archer 3. This is the third installment of our discussion of the Brave Archer series. This is a 1981 film directed by Chang Che, with uh, action direction by Philip Kwok, Chang Shen, and Lu Feng. It stars Alexander Fu Xiong, Nao Nao, uh, Ti Lung, Lo Meng, Lu Feng, Sun Qian, and Ching Li. Uh, it also features vocals by Jenny Tsang uh, in a, an important musical piece that plays during the middle of the film. And uh, and the movie is it's it's the it's it's sort of the uh, it's the uh, end of the of the of the first Condor Heroes book basically. And in this one, essentially, what happens is Huang Rong gets wounded by Iron Palm Sect and. They meet uh, a woman uh, named Ying in Black Swamp when she's trying to sort of uh, escape the Iron Palm people. And she directs them to Reverend Yi Deng, who uh, is the former emperor of Dali. And in order to get to Reverend Yi Deng, who can supposedly cure her affliction, uh, they have to pass through uh, his four guardians, the, the, the farmer, the woodcutter, the fisherman, and the scholar. And when they get there, they learn of a tragic backstory involving Reverend Yi Dang, Ying, and Zhu Batong, which we, we'll get into in the discussion. And there's a lot of drama. They end up uh, they end up sort of resolving things a bit, and then needing to escort Ying down the mountain uh, to safety, where they have a great confrontation with the Iron Palm Sect and the Iron Palm Sect leader, uh, played by Lo Meng. And and so that, does that seem like a fair breakdown of things? Yeah, that, that pretty much covers the whole thing. Uh, the the devil is in the details with this one because each one of those things you mentioned is in just by itself really fun and awesome. I uh, really enjoyed this movie. <laughs> so yeah, what did you how did you, how would you say it compared to the other three? Like, what's your favorite out of the three at this point? Now that you've seen you know three of them, I still think my I still think my favorite's the very first one. I think there was a lot of really great stuff that went on in that one, uh, and it. it our main characters were the most clearly the main characters in that one. In this one, I feel like, uh, much like the second movie, they're closer to spectators for most of the movie, and uh, that that makes them more of a framing device than characters, which I don't like quite as much. Uh, it's it's not bad or anything, uh, but as, as far as like like is this one enjoyable on its own merits? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot to appreciate in this one, and I actually think it's stronger than the previous movie, and that might, that might just be because it's a little fresher in my mind, but. You know, there was a lot to appreciate in this one. There's a really good dramatic heart to it. Um, I, I really, um, I really liked uh, the characters. Some of them are really funny. Old Naughty shows up as young Naughty as in, in a flashback, mm-hmm. which is great. The guy that got to play him was extremely talented that, and a very good actor. That was Philip Kwok, who's also one of the action directors and one of the one of the Venoms from the Venom Mob. Yeah, he, he's a wizard. I, like the way that guy moves is unreal. Like he just does these like he'll just casually leap over his own head and do a front flip and just keep walking. No big deal for me. It, it's Holy so God. effort. It's so effortless. You almost don't notice it. It's uh, you 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 can you can miss it because it's just to them. It's just like breathing air. It seems like they just they're very graceful. The venoms and. And uh, and yeah, so he's—I mean—he's a perfect Jubatong because Jubatong is this 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 insane character who's obsessed with martial arts and doesn't really understand all of the normal rules of propriety and social decorum and 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 so what what ends so so the the big backstory we learn about him is that he sort of inadvertently had an affair with uh, with the, uh, the the I think the concubine or one of the one of the wives of the Emperor of Dali and. 
and this creates a scandal. But ultimately, the emperor is this really magnanimous guy who, you know, says, "Okay, you guys can get married." And Jubatong is like, "No, I don't want to get married." And he 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 uh, he decides to leave when he realizes he's not going to be executed. But then later, it turns out that uh, the woman Ying is pregnant and she has a baby, and. Uh, Reverend Yi Deng has this uh, Yi Yang finger technique, and there's a there's a an approaching battle that's going to occur on Mount Hua, sort of like a duel among all of the martial masters. And the leader of Iron Palm Sect decides to to use his Iron Palm technique on the baby, so that Reverend Yi Deng will have to use this Yi Yang finger, because the consequence of him using the finger is that he uh, 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 he he loses his his martial abilities for about five years. His internal strength is depleted, and so he won't be able to win the contest. And so Reverend Yi Deng is sort of put in this position where he has to choose: Do, does he save the baby, uh, you know, the the illegitimate son? Of, of uh, you know, not not the illegitimate son, but the son of, of of his wife, of his former lover's lover, uh, and uh, or does he does does he does he stay his hand and, and and win the contest? And in the movie, it's a little bit unclear if he which direction he was going to go, but he hesitates so long that that the woman ends up killing the baby. And, oh, such and, a heartbreaking scene. And uh, uh, oh, sorry, go on. It's presented in a way because we we had a movie with baby killing in it, and I was like that was such a gut punch. Mm. In this one though, it felt so like over dramatized and maudlin that I, I didn't feel it so much as a oh no the baby's dead scene. Like the last one triggered my dad reflex really bad. This one didn't so much. I was just like okay, like I I get it. I get the drama. I get what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, it's still pretty heartbreaking and it's, it's especially well acted. Uh, this there's a wonderful like frantic energy to the whole scene, uh, which I don't know, kind of kind of helps you move along past the whole oh yeah they did kill a baby didn't they thing. <laughs> well, and I think I think what makes it, where, I mean the baby is almost almost like a, a plot device in the scene. What really carries it, I think, is the grief of the Ying character. You really sort of buy into her, uh, you know. So so one thing that happens when. When the when 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 she realizes that the uh, that the emperor isn't going to cure the baby, is her hair turns gray and then it eventually turns white, and and uh, just from the grief of, of the situation, and and then she and then she plunges a dagger into the baby, uh, and so she, from that day on she's sort of hell bent on getting revenge against Reverend Yi Deng, um, who at this point isn't a reverend he's still the emperor and he leaves the secular world and becomes a monk. Uh, largely because of these events, he feels bad about it. That's his his his, char- his big character trait is that he's he's really kind of trying to make amends, uh, you know. And and we really see that in um, in the Return of Condor Hero story, uh, which you know, if we if we ever cover that material, we can get into. Um, but but yeah, so I don't know. What, what other parts of the movie did you like? What what did you think worked? Oh man. Okay, so the Iron Palm sect is really cool. I want to point that out. Um, and I don't know if they're just cool because of their visuals, because they might be. It might just be that the fancy black and red uh, capes and just going around shirtless and buff and punching into pots full of uh, what is what is that heated charcoal or something like that? I don't know what that was, but it's it's a very interesting one. Yeah, but like just something about their design makes them really cool. Um, and I, I, I was really enjoying watching them. Uh, their leader is exceptionally ruthless. And also really blasé about his evil, which makes him a really kind of fun, interesting bad guy. And there's another really good fight with him in this movie that is really... 
Actually, the last fight in the movie is a showstopper. It's really brilliant. Uh, but especially the fight with him is satisfyingly gory and drawn out and cool. So there's a lot. There's lots of fun about them. Uh, I really loved what was it, that that like swamp they had to go through to get to uh, Luying, where it had all those like Taoist principles you had to know to go through the traps on the swamp. Yeah. Like I loved that. That was amazing. Uh, a very D and D moment or a very very role playing game moment. You know, because yeah. it's almost like you had uh, Huang Rong succeed in her knowledge Taoism check or whatever. And she's like, oh, wait, I know this. It's, it's, it's <laughs> actually sense. quite amazing how much of this connects to role-playing stuff so easily. Yeah. Um, it, it's something that you really notice about it. Uh, and, and, and I think I, I think that's a good example. Um, and also the, uh, what is it, the, the, the challenger she has to go through, the, the woodcutter, the farmer, you know, the... Those are great moments in the movie, but you could totally see them working in a role-playing context as well. Oh yeah, because yeah, like to get past her and to uh, to get to Reverend Eating, they they have to climb up a mountain, and like in every chunk of this mountain, there's a secret path uh, and a trap and a guy guarding it, and like that's almost exactly a dungeon. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and and we and we should, and we'll definitely get into that. We're gonna we're gonna cover the gaming stuff. Uh, in a moment, um, but but I think that uh, some of the other things too that I, I I really appreciate about about this movie. Number one, like you said, the action choreography is great. I think this is spe- really like good. it's it's so effortless. It's and that's the thing that really stands out to me. But um, but also, I mean, there's a lot going on. This is like if I mean, if you're not familiar with the story, it maybe it's hard to appreciate. But 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 Cheng Che really do, like the more I think about it, he really did do a good job of of giving you a complete movie experience and also getting in, you know, through careful, you know, sometimes he has to adjust things to make it work, but just getting in all of the core components of this story in a way that, uh, you know, that fits an hour and 30 minutes or however long the, it's not that long of a movie. It's really not. And there's a lot, you're right. A lot happens in this movie and you don't notice it because you're so intrigued with every given thing that's happening and that every scene is so very like it pops in your mind it's very vibrant um like comparing it to a western work and even a more recent western work doing like the lord of the rings uh trilogy this has got kind of a similar thing where you have a a literary work that is so gigantic and so encompassing and I honestly feel like uh, Chang Chang did a better job with this movie than than uh, Steve Jackson did with Return of the King. And that's a really weird thing to say because I really like that movie. Mm-hmm. But this is at once, like, a lot of that movie blended together in a bunch of muted blue-gray meh to me. Yeah. There's a lot of that in Return of the King. This one didn't have that. Like, I can, rem- I can vibrantly remember every scene, and I greatly enjoyed watching each scene. And there was no less detail, no less characterization. I followed the characters no less. There was no less drama. Yeah, you know, like, and it's it's a fraction of whatever Jackson's budget was. It's just doing that that balancing act like Ching Che was able to do is is really fantastic as a director. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think the directing worked really well. I think it's interesting too that it's Ching Che because this is really much more firmly in the wuxia. Uh, realm of things and you know like Cheng Che was doing all those you know sort of bloody uh, you know kung fu style movies like, and, you see and, the bloodiness come out in this one though he put this little trademark on in that last scene you, where you, was getting you, you do see the bloodiness but he also does respect the wuxia genre like you get that you know and it's kind of interesting because you know a lot like a lot of his earlier movies were more wuxia in, in feel 
and so this is it's almost it almost feels kind of like a return in some ways to the to to to, to the to that you know subgenre of the of, of filmmaking um like the the yi yang finger especially was a very wuxia moment for me yeah. uh the hair turning white when it yeah. was killed me. like what, those are very what, wuxia moments uh, I, I do want to get into some other things, but what did you think of the Yi Yang finger performance when he's healing Huang Rong? Because that's I've, I've noticed it's a very divisive scene, and some okay, people so love I, it, some people don't. And and uh, that happened in the same room when I was watching it, because that's the exact moment my wife decided to come home for lunch from work. So I was there watching the movie, and so she comes in. And there's this guy standing there, and I first time I've ever seen the scene. And then really dramatic music starts playing, dun, 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 and he just kind of starts moving around and. A little factoid about me, I know a few steps to Tai Chi Chuan. I used to do that when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's what it looked like. I was like, oh, dude, and I get what he's doing internally. Like, that's where the drama is coming from, is that he's, like, doing this really epically difficult, basically magic spell. And my wife immediately mocked it. She's like, man, that's some dramatic pointing he's doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's, both, uh, that's both extremes of reaction to this scene right now. No, so I, I enjoyed it greatly. <laughs> No, I, I, uh, I, I definitely uh, uh, thought. I, I think the scene worked, and I think, I think one of the reasons why is the uh, the combination of the movement with the music. It's it's different. I mean, it definitely has a strong '70s vibe. This is an '81 film, but it's got a strong '70s vibe. I would say that moment in the movie. It almost borders on funky, the uh, the way it's presented, but it really works. And I, I think. And also, T. Lung is the perfect guy to do it. Like his height really adds to something yeah. to it. Do you know what I mean it's like like because a lot of times, like when I think of Tai Chi, I might think of a movie like Tai Chi Master with Jet Li, who's got a much more compact, you know, uh, body type. But and and that works with the Tai Chi movement. But this is interesting because, like you said, it's 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 a uh, it's 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 kind of got like a Tai Chi like visual to it. It's I don't think it's meant to be Tai Chi, but it looks a little bit Tai Chi. No, right? it's it's not. Um, it's, the move is too sharp for Tai Chi, but I mean, like, it's that same basic, like, Taoist movement principle. Yeah. But, but something about his lankiness and the he's grace a, of the movement was, was, worked really well. Um, and that brings me into something else, which is I think the actors are, are really spot on in this film. You know, I was beginning with Reverend Yi Dang, played by T. Lung. He's, he really embodies that character very well. I don't know if you, rec do you recognize him from any other movies or is he kind of a fresh face to you? kind of fresh for me like okay. uh i'm still getting the hang of this stuff have we specifically have we seen a movie that has that character in it because i feel like it feels like an archetypical kind of thing almost you know i don't think we've seen a movie that's had Red reverend Yi dang in it but um uh we've probably seen one where t lung has at least made an appearance though he might not have been a you know i'll have to go back and see what movies we've done uh but i mean he's a very famous actor uh, and I think I think he really does a good job with these characters who have like there's something internal going on in their head that you're supposed to understand, and you can kind of read it through his eyes. He he's really good at conveying that, and and so I, I just really bought him as this former emperor who is now this compassionate monk and willing to die so that this woman can get revenge. Um, yeah. Thank you. He does seem haunted, and that comes through in his characterization of the character, which is really impressive. And what's what's really cool, and I'm going to spoil a little bit just because I think it's so interesting, is um, you know uh, Chen Run, the um, uh, the head of Iron Palm Sect. Yeah, he is an important character in Return of Condor Heroes as well, and 
and and he and Reverend Yi Dang have a have an arc that continues into that story, which is really interesting. Um, I won't spoil it more than that for you, but it's just a really cool uh, direction that they take those characters. Um, but also, we have Alexander Fushung, who again I think is a perfect Guo Jing character. You know, he's sort of meant to be kind of a a little bit of a simple guy, maybe not too bright, but sincere, and. And he, and he really gets that. But also his martial arts are really great. He does a really good job with a lot of the movements. And, you know, he's just nailing all of the, the moves that he has to do. And, and I thought Now Now does a really great job playing Huang Rong. I don't know. How, like, what's your impression of Huang Rong at this point? This, you've, now, you've now seen three movies of the character. Like, do you have an overall sense of what her character's about? Yeah, I mean, like, she's she's got a lot of interesting training. Uh, she's very, like, uh, self-motivated as a character. Like, she does what she wants. Uh, she's very clever. Uh, she's I, I really love her almost impish kind of characterization through the movies. Like, I, yeah, I, I really like the character. And, like, I think she... To putting it in D&D terms, she's kind of, like, half-thief, half-wizard, sorcerer kind of thing. Yeah. Because she seems to know, like, all this magical stuff, but she knows it... In the same way she knows how to pick a lock or tell a really convincing lie, it's just in her arsenal of thief stuff. Yeah, she's, she's interesting because she and she and they, they highlighted in the movie her father's kind of this. He's not necessarily an evil guy, but he's kind. He's definitely a little bit more sketchy than some of the other people in the movie. And he and he and, he, and he's got a little more of a kill at will type uh, type personality than say Hong Chi Gong or um, or Reverend Yi Dang and. But she's also a disciple of Hong Chi Gong, who's like this really righteous leader of beggar sect. And so there's this interesting balance with her where she, she has a lot of unorthodox features as a character. She's, she, she's, she's not afraid to use her cleverness to deceive people in, 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 in kind of sneaky ways. Like, you know, the, the, the whole, that whole scene where they're going up the mountain and, and they're, they're trying to get around the different challenges. You know, she's being pretty deceptive. And, and and at one point she even forces that guy to catch the boulder and just yeah. you know and he has to hold it in place so he doesn't get crushed, and and that's <laughs> that enables them to go up the up the trail, uh you know but she's still kind enough to send somebody down to 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 rescue him when he need, you know once they get to where they're going, um we also have Lo Mung as uh as leader of Iron Palm sect, and uh and you have Philip Kwok as Zhu Batong. um. And and we also had another uh, you know some of the other venoms in there too. We had uh, uh, Lu Feng as the woodcutter, and Sun Qian as the scholar. Um, but I thought uh, you know this this movie I felt like it, it, it sort of feels like in the second one Zhu Batong is the breakout character, and so in this one we just get way more Zhu Batong. Like like that's not I mean they're they're just kind of doing the story. But if this were like a a, a trilogy that they were making up as they go along. That's sort of the feel that it has, is that, you know, Jubatong was so popular that we, we now need uh, more Jubatong. Um, I, I like Jubatong. Like, he, he's a, he's got a real Monkey King vibe to him, where, like, he doesn't really have malice, but he is, he really does defy all social norms and expectations. So, like, that, that's a fun, that's a fun angle. And you don't, you don't see that a lot outside of, a, outside of Eastern um, uh, storytelling, I find. Like, there, there are a couple of like happy, talented fool characters in Western stuff, but like, no, no nothing that really approaches the scale of something like the Monkey King. So I think yeah. that if if I had to draw a direct line between what inspired him, it, it would definitely be Monkey King Zubatong. Just because, like, even in in this one, 
it's not just that he is kind of like sketchy. It's also that he's like ridiculously good at martial arts. Yeah. Yeah, he's obsessive. That's his defining trait. He's obsessive about martial arts, and so he's kind of like a, he's the ultimate martial arts nerd. And he's so obsessed with it that he just doesn't notice things. Like we said, he doesn't, you know, when 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 he's being seduced by the uh, the the by by Ying when he's at the palace. At first, he mistakes her attempts at seduction as a martial arts technique, and he asks her, you know, what technique is that? And and you know, and and he doesn't even. Re- it's almost like he doesn't even realize that they slept together until his master brings it up later. And it's like, so wait, what did you do with her exactly? What happened? And uh, and like it's like, martial arts. Yeah. It's the first thing he goes to. Yeah, yeah. He, it's in the last thing he mentions is is the important detail, um, and right. he just has no sense of the of the of the significance of what he's done. Um, and like later on, um, when uh, he goes to apologize to the emperor, uh, and is just like, uh, "Yeah, okay, sorry." Uh, Ying comes in, and the emperor's all like, "Okay, well, look, let's let's resolve this so that no one loses face. You can marry her, and it'll just be my. It'll look, reflect well on me. I'll be magnanimous. You guys will be in love. Everything will be fine." And he's like, "I don't want to get married. F that. You can just kill me instead." That's cool. You gonna kill me? And everyone and she's like heartbroken because and he doesn't get that. He's not being malice. Yeah. He's, just he, he's and, hurt. He hurt everyone in that scene. His master is beyond ashamed by the behavior of his disciple. Yeah, you can uh, see it in his face. Like, oh my god, what have I done? Reverend Yi Dang has made this incredible gesture. I mean, it's just like a, it's a remarkable gesture that he makes. Straight up insults him to his face yeah. in his throne room. And, uh, and like and like you said, she's she's heartbroken. And, and he's just like la la la. Well, no one's gonna kill me. I've gotta go. Bye. And he and you still can't hate him because he's just so feckless, you know. And he, and he literally like uh, cartwheels out of the scene. Like he just he just leaps into the air, flips, and cartwheels his way out of the scene. And it's uh and uh, again in an American movie it might look a little bit silly, but in this kind of film, characters are performative in that way sometimes. And it and it and it I don't know. I, I like that. You can get a lot of the character personality through the physical movements. There's there's something nice about that. That you know that that that, that residual from like Peking opera and stuff is present. Uh, it works, and and you know you know as, as long as as long as you sort of get what it's trying to convey to you. Um, I I don't really see it as any more egregious than Indiana Jones swinging into a scene on a whip or Batman falling through a skylight. There is a link between a character's action and their characterization. Yeah, I, I think I think what I would say is different in these movies is the de- I don't know that we like we don't know like I don't feel like I'd see a character unless it was a Jim Carrey movie I wouldn't see a character backflipping because he's happy or something you know what I mean but in a martial arts movie that's totally serious you might see somebody do a backflip because they're happy and it's it's it, like the, I just feel like the boundaries for physical expressiveness through action are a little more permissible. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, I will grant you can express more emotions in a movie like this than just I'm cool or rad or anger or or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that American movies suffer from this onus of trying to be too cool all the time sometimes. Well, and monotone, yeah. like you said with the Lord, and it's not necessarily an American movie, but like the Lord of the Rings thing, you were, your chief complaint was it all looked like the same color, right? Wasn't that your criticism? And, yeah, yeah, that is a cheap complaint, granted, yeah. but I mean, it's a valid one that wasn't very visually interesting. And I think I think we have an obsession with tone consistency in a lot, and and I'm sure there's plenty of examples that kind of, that go counter this. But I mean, a lot of times I feel like there's too much 
attention is paid to tone consistency, which can result in something that's a little bit dull. Whereas here, we're, we're allowed a variety of tones and everything still kind of pops and is memorable to you. Do you know what I mean? And it doesn't do so in a way that's garish or hyper-stylized. It just seems like a natural thing. Yeah. It's really nice. <laughs> it's it's like you can, and, what, and again, what I like about this kind of movie is you can kind of go in and you kind of get like a broad, you get, you, you, it hits a lot of buttons over the course of the, of the movie and you feel like you've had a complete experience. Uh, and you, and you really see that with a, you know, a character like Zhu Batong is a real, I mean, just an unusual character to, uh, and, 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 uh, and I think again, it gets back to sort of some of the stuff you were talking about, which is how the costuming, like I think at one point you were saying, well, you liked a lot of the characters, and you don't know how much of it was just the way that the character was standing and the costumes and stuff. But those are totally reasonable hooks to use to tell you about a character. Like it's a visual medium, so why not rely on costume and music and art and all these things that can kind of enhance that moment? Oh yeah, um, like not to not to hypersaturate this with RPG talk, but that's one of the reasons that I always like get really skilled artists with my stuff. Like because it, there there is a dimen- a visual dimension to the wuxia genre that is really important. Yeah, that's why like uh, the manhua, like um, *Women of the Gods*, like, the comic book of that is so striking and fascinating to me. Like I've I've heard people mock it as like Chinese superheroes, and I'm like, what's wrong with superheroes? It, it is like a superhero comic, and there is a strong visual appeal to it. Well, and and also if you if you read the source material, like the fight scenes. In the book, some some of the fights in these books go over a chapter. Like they'll go over a chapter or two sometimes. So it's, it, it, you know, it's not like they're just. I mean, it's not always following exactly what happened in the book, but it's not like they're just adding in gratuitous fight scenes for the purpose because it's now a visual medium and they want it there. It's part of the genre that that you know the 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 the, the fighting is is definitely part of the genre. Um, and it just happens to work really well on screen because you know fighting is a you know it's it's it's, it's enjoyable to watch. Um, so I get, but we probably should get into the role playing stuff because uh, I think I think we've hit we've hit that point in the show, and 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 I, and I guess uh, maybe for the for the first thing that we can talk about because you mentioned this and this this really intrigued me. We were talking about Yi Yang Finger, and you were saying how that's kind of a Vancean thing, and I yes, thought that was an interesting observation. Um, we should really define Vancian for the benefit of those well, who have no idea well, what we're talking about. Well, and first, let's let's define Yi Yang Finger first. In the movie, he uses it as a healing technique. It's a much more comprehensive technique, I think, in the books. But it's a it's this technique he uses to heal Huang Rong from the Iron Palm attack, and the result of using it is that he's depleted for five years. He can't he can't use I think he can't use his internal martial arts or something. He's he's basically less effective as a result. And and that is kind of a Vancey. It's it's a very long scale Vancean. And for the and, and again for those who don't know Vancean, that's the 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 casting system in D and D where sort of fire and forget. You get a certain number of spells per day in each level, and you memorize specific spells. And when you use them, they're gone for the day until you memorize again. And it it, it operates on a similar principle. Sorry, I was actually yawning. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, and you're right. It operates on a similar principle, and actually, um, it's a principle that's gotten uh, a lot more traction recently in fifth edition too. As uh, noticing this as I was, I ran a fifth edition game a couple of weeks ago. I was noticing as I was going through the magic items to populate this dungeon. I was like, everything is 
it has a specific effect that you get a certain number of times in a given day. Mm-hmm. So everything is kind of linked to that Vantian system where you, you it's a it's a resource management uh, system is what it is, and it allows you to give players, especially with the way it kind of links and stacks, mm. uh, it allows you to give players more and more versatility and power as they become more powerful as, as characters. So it's not just, uh, like in this case, uh, Yang Finger would be like this ultimate super powerful spell that you can only use once in a very long while. Uh, traditional Vantian is linked to uh, what, what is now called a long rest, where you go to sleep and you wake up and you take an hour to prepare your spells. Um, this one, like you were pointing out, is on a five-year time scale, and it's not just he, he has to wait five years. He has to train every single day for five years yeah. to get that power back. It's like an enormous undertaking. So there's no reason you can't take the, the genius of that like resource rationing system and, and put it on different time scales. Like you can have one that refreshes in minutes so that yeah. you can only use something a few times in a battle, say. As a matter of fact, 4th edition did something similar to that with its encounter powers where you got to do this once per encounter and then you are out. But that well, leaves you with an interesting choice as a player because it's like, when do I fire my big bullet? I've only yeah. got one shot. And the cha- and I think the challenge of applying it to fighters is is so Vancian magic is keyed to something that it's actually going on in the setting, which is this memorization thing that you're doing and sort of the yeah. I mean, you know, there's an explanation of it in the different DMGs of how it works. It varies a little bit from edition to edition, but basically, you you sort of if I recall, you imprint the spell in your mind. And when you cast it, it kind of evaporates. Um, and, and this is this explicitly magical effect. Yeah, and but then when you try to apply that to physical actions, it can get a little more thorny because some people have trouble with the, you know, okay, I, I can understand how I would do that with a spell, but I can only punch this guy once every X number of things. Special punch once an hour. I don't. Under, that's not how punches work. But, and that's unfortunate because we've linked that to reality. That isn't how punches work. But but what's cool here is with Reverend Yi Deng's uh, Yi Yang finger, the 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 ability is Vancian, but the Vancianness of it matches exactly what's going on in the setting. That five year of rest is related to the mystical martial arts that he's doing and sort of the the, the principles of how you know this technique is supposed to work. And I think that's the cool thing about. Having you know in in Wuxi, you know a lot of the martial arts are mystical in nature. They they're related to sort of the flow of chi through your meridians, and you know there's theory behind them of how you you know you need to do certain things in order to empower them. And I think that that opens the door for a Vancian style martial arts approach that uh, that actually makes sense. I mean, it's not you know again you might have to set things. You know, five years might be particularly long, though. I think that's pretty cool. Um, because because the thing that was cool about fi- about setting it at five years is the ability can be almost anything because the guy's got to wait five years before he can use it again. So yeah, and then there's even a, a bigger onus on okay, I can only fire this bullet once every five years. Yeah, oh, that's great. So it could be extremely powerful, but it's balanced out by the fact that you know you got to wait five years between uses, and so you you know if you use it on the wrong thing. You know, and that's exactly the dilemma he was having when the baby came. You know, am I using this on the wrong? You know, is this the wrong moment? And and not just that, but the fact that he's totally depleted by it. That's the other fact. It's not just that technique. His his martial arts ability is uh, is completely depleted. But with a little bit of you know, again, if the challenge of trying to turn something into if if you're trying to make this sort of a D and D 
uh, thing or you know whatever is that you are um, uh, you have you're trying to work within the D and D system. So if you're trying to make Yi Yang Finger Vancian, you know you might you might simplify it and just have it be related to the Yi Yang Finger, not not have it be as total. Uh, and, yeah, it's and, a little bit more compartmentalized in D and D. In this case, it was more encompassing. Yeah, 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 because it covers a lot. It covers a lot. Um, and it might just be easier to just say, okay, you can't use Yang Finger for however you know many days or weeks or months. Um, but that's also another interesting idea would be scaling up the Vancian system so that uh, uh, instead of having it be operating on a daily principle, it can operate on monthly or weekly or yearly. Um, I really think that the higher level spells would be better balanced if they did them that way. Like, whenever you as a wizard get a point where you can cast Wish every single day, campaign's over, you know? Well, <laughs> like, that's a that's whole other discussion. I, 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 might, I might not agree with you 100%, but, I right, would, okay. I would, but here's the thing. I would want to do my due diligence in that discussion and actually uh, make sure that I'm... Uh, you have uh, to pull a 15th level campaign in Beckme to make that happen. Oh, God. Well, again, that's another thing. A lot, a lot of those arguments will come down to the edition that you're using too. Like different editions sure. have different, different rules governing them. I, I, I do remember. If, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, like you're, you're very right on that because, like in the editions I play, Wish is so expensive that it's almost not worth doing. Yeah. It's not as you get it every day. It's you get it and it takes the wealth of a kingdom every time yeah. you use it. So it's like, okay, well, you know, that's. That's have a more limited utility. Yeah, and the, and, the, the, and there are penalties to it too. There, there you yes. suffer consequences. Yeah, um, big time. And then a little bit like in third and three five, that's not the case. Yeah, you can just do it. But I remember it in second edition, and uh, and I remember at one point one of my characters did get wish, and it was actually not as like I was really looking forward to it, and it turned out to be a much bigger pain in the ass than I had anticipated. Um, <sighs> And so, you know, if it, when, once I got to that level as a player, and again, I'm the, you know, it's it's a little harder when you're coming at it from the player side because, you know, you just want the wish to work. But I yeah. felt very constrained by the parameters, so it seemed pretty balanced to me. But um, but I have to admit, wish isn't something that came up a whole lot in most of my campaigns. So it's um, not it's not designed to really. Yeah. Um, but another thing that I thought was really cool, and we mentioned this, was the guardians around Reverend Yi Deng and how. Uh, he had these men who uh, had, had sort of, you know, uh, were disguised as uh, or retired as sort of regular people, a fisherman, a scholar, a woodcutter, and a farmer. And and they all sort of, you know, uh, prevent people from getting immediate access to, to Yidang, uh, largely because I think they're concerned about this woman seeking revenge against him. And uh, the challenges were interesting because they were somewhat martial, but not really. You know, uh, one of them involved climbing up a tree to its head uh, and and uh, that gave uh, Huang Rong some opportunities for for some from some specious logic to uh, to you know and and another one was just you know there were two there were two vines and it was selecting the right vine um, and again uh, they were able to exploit knowing which one was the wrong one and trapped to uh, to get the guy to uh, sort of end up in a situation where he was now carrying a boulder above his head and uh but then there was the scene with the scholar which was just um uh really more of like a it was a really good example of how you can use stuff like poetry contests uh to, and battle of wits uh to as in 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 place of a martial duel do you know what i mean 
Japan. Like, that, that's so hard to do, too, because, like, it really was very much uh, Huang Rong versus the Scholar in a battle of knowledge. And that really isn't something that is well abstracted into die rolls like, like a martial contest is. It's a lot better if you simply have more data in front of you as a player, yeah. and you can just, like, pick and, and move things around. It's almost like a chess match, kind of, except one yeah. person doesn't have all the pieces. Well, it's it's one, it's, yeah. it's 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 one of the reasons why you might want to bring in real world knowledge into a fantasy setting. Like, unless you have like 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 my game has a Confucius analog, but I don't have like an an Analex book that I've written that contains all of the. You know what I mean? It's it's not it's not that. I mean, there's a paragraph of information on 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 the sayings of Kongji, but there's not there's not you know something that's as extensive as the actual Analex. So I think. Uh, Sometimes what you might want to do is just bring in the real material uh, that you're basing something on. You know, it, it, that 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 way you you could make it. Um, you know, it, it could become something that people draw on. Another thing you can do is I think that's also a space like where allowing players to be a little inventive is okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I, Legends of the Wulin book actually straight up advise you to make up sayings from the great sages. Yeah. They're like, but the Analex is gigantic. We don't expect you to read that to play the game. It's fine if you want to make something up because there's a lot of obscure stuff that that guy yeah. said and it makes you seem clever in character. That's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, and I think and I think, I think, think the measure of it, it, that's where the GM role can come in because, you know, if the player come, if the, play, the player is the, the sort of, the competition they're having is, is one one part of the competition has more to do with sort of riffing on poetic verse, but the other part of it has to do with how much knowledge they have of, of, of the sayings of Confucius. And so uh, in a setting where you, you have like a fantasy version of that, just having the players come up with something that sounds like, you know, the challenge is the player has to come up with something that sounds plausible. And if it sounds plausible, then the GM can be like, yes, that passes muster and you succeed. And if it doesn't sound plausible, then that would be the failure uh, uh, zone. So I, th I think that's that's one way to do it. Another way you could have it, you could just have it resolved by dice rolls related to knowledge skills. I think I, I my think to die rolls is a tiebreaker where it's like, okay, hmm. I don't think that's particularly convincing. However, your character is very clever, so roll yeah. some dice. All right, well there you go. I, th I mean, I think either approach is fine. I personally prefer the pl the approach that leans on the role play. But yeah. I mean, it's it's one of these things where I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to do it. I think I think both I've I've done both approaches and they both can be fun, and it's really about knowing the group. You know, if if I have a group of, like I have one player in one of my groups who's astounding at coming, like who can just sort of creatively uh, invent stuff like that on the fly, and it'll it'll work like it'll work like magic. But not everybody's. Uh, is is interested in that, and so you know I'm pretty flexible as a GM, but but either way I think this scene, it, it, it's I don't know it's a great example of how like just within the culture, uh, you know how how these fights don't all have to be about people crossing blades. They can they can be about two scholars meet you know sort of staring each other down in the same way that duelists do. Like there's it's very dramatic. They're up on there's like a a log bridge that they're both standing on. And he's blocking the path, and he even raises one leg in the air and blows his fan dramatically. But but all he's doing is coming up with poetic verses. Uh, you know, it's not like he's actually fighting her. 
uh, it's very gentlemanly and interesting, and uh, and I, and it's, I um, yeah, it, it's something like you you don't expect to see that sort of thing. I think whenever people like come into like what, what we call a kung fu movie, wuxia movie, what have you, they really have a set of expectations. And one of the things I think that we need to abandon in a lot of ways is that set of expectations. Sure, there, there's going to be some cool kung fu fights, but you don't have to adhere to a very strict template with it. As a matter of fact. It's desirable if you don't, as you get cool things like these these scholar fights where they're just trading quips back and forth and things like yeah. that. Uh, no, it, a lot it, of times, uh, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> well, a lot of times I see people kind of wed to the idea that everything will be resolved in the same way, and I think that kills a lot of the reason that you would do things in, in a genre at all, you know? Like, if everything was going to be a sword fight where I roll my sword die and you roll your sword die and I have a bigger bonus so my sword beats your sword, that's that kind of robs it of the texture, you know, the variety. Well, there's a lot more to it. It's a much deeper genre than people realize. And also, it was a living genre. Like, um, you know, Gu Long was famous for bringing in other elements to his stories. And he even said something to the effect of the genre will die if we don't bring in, you know, new ideas to it. So he was always drawing on other sources often american ones and often english ones and and one of them was actually uh the james bond novels uh believe it or not and i I recently uh read casino royale because i was interested in how james bond might have impacted uh gulong and i was very surprised i was like oh you know what like a lot of these spectacular devices that gulong had in his books maybe that that seems like it might actually be coming from james bond and 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 some of the ways that he describes action i can sort of see how he's drawing on the james bond story and the thrills and and and, and just the, the 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 types of characters that he sure. likes to have um and 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 that's not the only source of inspiration but it's just one among many that 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 influences novels and i might be wrong on some of the details but it's but but definitely there's an impact that it has and and i think uh i think that what's surprising if you watch a, enough wuxia is 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 how it reaches into other zones over time and it's not it's it's you know the the worst thing in the world kind of is a stale wuxia movie like a wuxia movie that's just all wuxia tropes is a little bit dull wuxia movies that do more interesting things or uh you know go into other areas or or what what's engaging so i think you know you're right that when you're when you're making a wuxia campaign you it's this weird balance where you you want it. You obviously want it to feel like wuxia. You don't want it to be. You know. You don't want people to suddenly think that they're in another genre. Um, so you, you do need to root it in some of the fundamentals. But being willing to throw other things in can really breathe life into it, and it can get you. Uh, it can avoid the problem of we've been doing wuxia for five weeks and I'm already bored. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it helps. Like giving it helps to keep it from getting like styad or predictable, and you don't want it to be predictable. Yeah. You, you always want to be able to surprise your players, and like if if you only have a limited like well of things that you are allowing into your imagination, you're not going to be able to do that. You have to find something else. You have to go out yeah. and read western or or watch like a gory horror movie or something. And like we we've, we've watched movies like that where like there's these gory horror elements and trapped dungeons and weird devices, uh, bizarre magic and all this stuff. That fits wonderfully. Whenever you you just change it just a little bit to fit within the wuxia genre, so and that that stuff makes games interesting. It makes continued storytelling a lot more 
dynamic and a lot more surprising, which is yeah. a richer experience as a player. It's more satisfying creatively as a GM. It's just better. And uh, another another one that um that, that that I thought was a really good game moment, and and you mentioned it during the the earlier discussion, is the the Taoist formation in the swamp, where oh, I love you know they, where there's like these little stones under the water, and they all sort of follow the you know Taoist principles. And if you know them, then you can find the stones. And I mean, it's a really cool scene because it's a very atmospheric black swamp with a with a little residence in it that the that, that Ying lives in. She's kind of an old reclusive woman, and there's all this mist hanging over everything, so you can't really see under the water. So it's very it's very difficult. And and the peril is they're being chased by iron palm sex. So they have this threat of iron palm coming after them and they've got to sort of navigate this thing and and Huang Rong's knowledge of Taoist uh, magic and Taoist principles is what enables her to to guide Guo Jing over it and I use something like this in one of my one of my own games I, I yep. simplified it greatly well I had a player who understood Chinese and so I I had these stones and, and, and some of the stones were trapped. When you landed on them, various traps would attack you. The stone would explode or something would come flying at you. And if you landed on the safe stones, you were okay. And, they ha- and, and you basically are trying to cross over this section of the dungeon. And it's, it was like a row of, I think, four uh, by 20 stones. And the way that they were positioned made it somewhat difficult to navigate. But I wrote down the Chinese characters on every one of the stones. And... And essentially what it was was you needed to follow the path of, uh, of yin. If, if, if you followed the yin characters, you would make it, you know, so like thing, so characters that represented yin concepts, you would be able to safely get across. If you, if you stepped on any of the yang stones, you would, uh, you, you, would, uh, uh, you, you would have an explosion or something. And, and so, you know, if I were to... And obviously, not every campaign is going to have a player who understands Chinese. So, if it were a regular campaign, I might have just had pictures of yin and yang objects, and you know, and once you, you know, and that was that would be how they would have navigated over it. Um, but it was it was but it, it was it was a similar idea, and it uh, and I drew it directly from this. This that was the source of inspiration for it, and uh, and it ended up working out really cool because I remember when that moment happened. Suddenly, the, the 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 player who knew the Chinese was very interested in solving this puzzle, and <laughs> and so you know it it worked out pretty well. Um, but yeah, so uh, the other thing uh, that I thought was worthy of mention was the dramatic backstory, and Ooh. and knowing when to deliver that to the to the players, like. In the in this movie, the you you like you said the 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 dramatic heart of the movie is that backstory, and that's kind of the it's kind of the center of the film structurally too. The middle of the movie is really oriented around this backstory, and um, uh, that can be challenging to do in a role playing game. But if you can do it right, it really pays dividends. I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, it, especially um, especially when it comes to like. Backstories that inform character actions that aren't really intuitive. I think uh, a lot of times I'll, as a GM, like if I don't have a backstory for a character, I'll just kind of fall into the trap of just having them behave kind of rationally. Like, oh, they'll just pursue their interests without much risk, and that's that's totally acceptable. That that is how people work in a lot of circumstances. But it's whenever a character takes really peculiar, like unintuitive actions that players become interested in them. Yeah. And those are usually informed by having a backstory, which makes those completely reasonable actions for them to take. Uh, for example, 
uh, whenever we meet uh, Reverend uh, Yading in the in the movie, like one of the first things he does is they give him the uh, this this just this uh, blanket and it has something on it and this dramatic song starts playing and he's like oh it's this blanket and they're like looking at each other like is that important and he's like not now but it is important but not now your friend needs healing and then without hesitation like he just goes and he uses his super magical once in five years finger to heal this girl and like all of his uh, all the students come up over to uh Gua Jing and they're like hey he can't he's doomed like for the next five years he's weak now because he had to use his finger on you and like so so they're both like why did he do this and he's like okay sit down kid story time yep and because they're completely interested in what is with this guy what what's with the blanket why were you unhesitant in using your magic to heal her even though it depletes you he gives them the backstory and it's yep. like okay this babe this this had a baby in it that was killed by its mother because i refuse to use this i i kept my power selfishly and it cost the life of this child and you know what? I feel so bad about it. I'm cool with letting her just take her revenge. <laughs> so I use my magic to heal you because I'm not making that mistake twice. Mm. And and it's a really big info dump. Like he gives them a lot, and it's a really rich, compelling backstory. But they're interested. So and yeah. we're interested as the audience at this point. So it's, it doesn't feel onerous. It, it feels really. In, it it feels like a natural progression of the story and a good, well paced technique for conveying the information. And I I think that's how you do it as a GM. You sort of deliver it to the players when they're interested you know like when they ask or when when it comes up naturally in conversation when an npc has a chance to say something like well actually here's why this is the case you know yeah, that, that was that, that word was actually yeah <laughs> that 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 really can have a lot of impact it, it's challenging like you don't want to have 18 dramatic backstories that you have to memorize but it, it can be handy to have one or two like anytime i make a campaign i try to come up with one or two significant dramatic backstories that might come up, might not. They don't have to come up. I don't really care. But when they do, it, the players really appreciate it because they realize that this character has a lot more depth to them, their motivations make a lot of sense, and, wow, there's this really cool twist going on that sort of explains a lot of stuff that's been going on around us. And and if when it's done right, it works great. I, th- I think that the, the key thing to keep in mind is you're not going to always be able to pull it off the way it comes out in a movie. Like, he gets this opportunity to dramatically tell them the story. Sometimes you get that. Sometimes the players say, hey, what's up with that guy? I really want to know. And the, G- the NPC can, can explain. Sometimes the stories come out in fragments over time. I've had, uh, in my last campaign, there was a dramatic backstory involving, like, it was kind of like a burning of the temple type story, like where, where there was a, a sect that was extinguished and there, were, there was a bad guy involved. And one of the people who survived was one of the player characters' mothers, or two of the player characters' mothers, and and this was also a surprise to the player characters because they didn't know that their mother was this great martial hero, and so slowly over the course of the campaign they were getting all these little details that kept you know oh yeah your mom is a she actually knows martial arts oh you know she 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 used to be a member of this sect that was exterminated by this guy and oh yeah that guy he's a really nasty person don't go in here you know and it kind of just it just kind of slowly came out and then there was this other guy they were traveling with iron god mung who was very respectful to them and sort of took a shine to them and it turned out that he was this person who was in his earlier years infatuated with their mother and one of almost like a young disciple of the of, of the of the mother character and so you can use it to sort of if, if you what I would say is, as complex as the emotions and the motives were, the backstory was fairly simple here. Um, you know, it was it was a it was it was a love triangle 
that resulted in a baby and the baby was murdered by this evil sect and and as a result of the as a result of the uh, the injured baby Yi Dang had to make like the most horrible of choices and it resulted in this lifelong grudge and you know that I wouldn't I wouldn't take it any more than that I think that's about as as complex as you need in, you're right. It doesn't have to be complicated. Most great dramas aren't complicated. They just involve one or two really hard choices where there's not really a, the no-brainer good option. Yeah. There was a, you know, it, it, it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to save your baby's life even though it was born out of wedlock and in a humiliating circumstance for me. And also I'm going to give up my ability to compete and win all this honor and glory for myself in this really important tournament. Yeah, I'm only gonna do that. I'm just gonna jump right on that. I mean, like it would, it it tore him apart, and he hesitated just long enough that you know the the mother was just like, you know what? I know, I know you're not gonna be able to bring yourself to do this, so I'm gonna spare my kid's suffering, but you're gonna pay. Well, and he spends he spends two books trying to make up for this. This is like his character story. You know, he's he's uh, it's 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 you know this plays out over the long haul. Um, But I think this also shows about motivation. You know, motivation. I mean, all you really need, you need the motive and you need the why, you know, and that's, those are the two things that are really crucial here. If you have that motive, then if you imagine that Guo Jing and Huang Rong are player characters in this, when they pivot in a particular direction and Ying is in the scene, if you clearly know what her motivation is, you know what she's going to do. If you don't have a clear understanding of her motivation, it can make it harder to make the decision. Um, And in this case, she just really wants revenge against Yi Dang, and she wants it because of the death of her baby. And her heartbreak over Zhu Baton. And if you understand those three elements, you can you can point her in the most logical direction based on what's going on fairly easily. Um, and so I think it's really useful to get that out in shorthand in your NPC entries. Oh, yeah, because, again, whenever the characters encounter her for the first time, it's not clear why she helps them because she seems reluctant to at first. Then she's like, oh, you know, I know who can cure that, uh, that injury of yours. Yeah. yeah. If you as a GM understand that she wants revenge and that by advising uh, the characters to go and, and have Master Yiding use his magic finger on her, will weaken him and allow her to get the revenge, that all makes perfect sense. But you as an audience member and, and you as a player in, in that circumstance wouldn't have known all of those things. So they yeah. would naturally have been mysterious to you. And so that backstory is like, oh, we just fucked up, huh? So that's a wonderful moment for players, and they're like, "Oh, okay, didn't know that before." Oops. Yeah, is that, and and again, and and I and I, I think we might have mentioned this in the podcast, but just the the way that it this the backstory changes your viewpoint on a lot of like Zubatong, you look at him differently when you learn all this. You know, Ying, yeah. you look at differently. Yi Dang, you look at differently. That that can be a really powerful technique in the context of a role playing game. <laughs> where you have either an NPC that's been annoying them or, or thwarting them or that they really like and they learn this information that kind of recasts some of that. It's, uh, I, I find it's one of the most effective ways to, uh, of, of drawing players into like a real friendship with an NPC or into a real situation of enmity with them. Um, it, it, can be, it can be really effective. Uh, it just has to be used lightly. You don't want to... You don't want to just be pulling the dramatic backstory all the time on people, or it'll lose its punch. Yeah. Um, again, it's it's a rare spice. You don't want everyone to have some horrifically dramatic backstory. 
you only really need one or two characters to have a dramatic backstory, even in the course of like an entire campaign, like you mentioned, because like usually they're they're powerful characters that are sort of unavoidable because of the size of their power. Yeah, you get a, a reasonably powerful martial artist like Yi Ding, like no one else can do what he can do. So there there's something that draws you into his it's like yeah. his circle. His, his drama just because you need him for a pragmatic reason. Well, I'm going to die if I don't get his magic finger, you know? And keying different NPCs into the backstory is helpful. If it's just one person, it's not going to have the effect that it had here. We have three people with th- three very different points of view about what happened. Um, you know, it, it really helps... Uh, it, it makes it possible for the players to get the information from all three people and maybe get slightly different takes on everything that happened. Um... But, but yeah, I think, I think I don't know, I, th- I think, uh, number one, I think that, you know, we're, we've now seen all three. Maybe we'll go into Brave Archer and his mate. You and I can talk about that. I think, honestly, I think we should do the Bride with White Hair next, though. I think that We should be probably have a break. I've been kind of, kind of itching to uh, watch Bride with White Hair anyway, so. Yeah. so. So we'll probably end up doing Bride with White Hair next. But, it, uh, but, um, but I, th- I think these three movies are great fodder for, for role-playing. I, th- I think that uh, there's a lot of stuff you can draw. Yeah, that, having seen these three, I'm now even more intrigued about uh, playing in Wandering Heroes because, like, now I mean, I know that this is what informed the those games. Uh, I've been I've been putting off getting a core book because I'm like, ah, my finances. Blah, 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 blah. But guess what? I've got student loans coming in next month, and I've earmarked about fifty bucks worth for getting that book. So this this is gonna happen. I'm gonna be able to actually talk about you in a in a like. Oh, you designed this rules way with your stuff, so I'm very intrigued. Well, very, uh, very excited. Well, how about the? Uh, we, we can talk after the part, but I think if uh, we'll get we'll get you a copy, we'll get you a copy. Um, and uh, and so, uh, but uh, but yeah. Oh, by the way, before I, before I forget, I do want to mention I do have a book out called House of Paper Shadows that I just put on the uh, um, uh, RPG now. It's available in PDF. It's a haunted house wuxia adventure. Uh, I think it's really good, and I think people who want to know what I mean by Wuxia Dungeon might want to check it out. Um, obviously, I'm biased. I think everything I put out is is, is, is at least decent, but but this one I think uh, is a cool Halloween atmospheric module, uh, and and you know it's uh, $7.99 in PDF. The print version will be out in October. And uh, nice. uh, you you are underselling it, by the way, guys. It's not like for real. Talking directly to the audience here, it is not just a little little place with some spooky ghosts in it. It's a freaking kung fu mega dungeon of tremendous horror and actual like dramatic impact. It's it's fantastic. I've been reading through this thing. I'm aching to run it, not just in his game, but since it's a dungeon, pretty much in any game I can squeeze it into. I'm not kidding, Brendan. It's it's amazing. It's a nexus for this this evil kung fu organization. It's got its own inbuilt adventure, and in addition to that, it has this living, thriving horror kung fu dungeon environment based on one of the stone circle city thing. It, it really is mind-blowingly good, guys. Not joking. And this, again, I'm not even associated with Bedrock Games outside of this podcast. You you owe yourselves the House of Paper Shadows. It really is worth the uh, cost of admission. So, so well, yeah. I, I, pr- I appreciate the kind words, and and I I think I'll I'll try to revise my marketing strategy a little bit and 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 do more overselling. Um, but uh, but 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 no, I, I I I you know I I hope people check it out, and I, I think um I think it's definitely worth looking into if you like martial arts, if you like uh, wuxia, and you like horror. 
Um, but and, and I think fittingly, you know, the bride with white hair. It's not quite horror, but I think that's going to be a very fitting next um, next topic for discussion. I'm looking forward to uh, to your reaction to it because people, it's a it's a very different wuxia movie, and. I don't know how you're going to respond. I really don't. Um, nobody ever reacts to it the way I think they will. So, uh, so I'm interested to see how you how you how re, how you react. Um, you got to down what you think my reaction will be and put it like a sealed envelope so we can dramatically open it. But the thing is, that's the point. I don't know. I have no idea. Like, like I'm really I'm struggling to come up with a prediction and I can't. Um, it's even more. Intriguing. I hope you I hope you like it. I I think I. I, I mean, I like it. Obviously, I'm you know I think it's a good movie, but I remember I I, I showed it to a bunch of people for a Wusha Weekend podcast. Uh, some of them liked it. One of them really really didn't like or didn't like the way it ended, and uh, and 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 had an interesting reason for why he felt that way. Um, so I'd be curious to see what your response to everything in the movie is. Um, but I won't color your opinion more than that. And, okay. Uh, and yeah, so but we've been going on for an hour, so we'll, we'll head out. And uh, and yeah, so again, it's Brave Archer three. It's it's three part movie. There's also Brave Archer and his mate, and then there's uh, there's there's an additional film that gets into uh, the uh, sort of like an uh, uh, there, there's a th- four or five movies depending on how you count depending on how you count them. Um, but I think the only ones you really need to see are one through three. And then it's best to encounter the Return of Condor Heroes material elsewhere, in my opinion. Um, so, anyways, we will uh, we will let you go, and we will talk to you later.